Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Hello, hello, beloved family. So good to be with you. We're on audio today again. Um, and I, I mentioned yesterday that if anyone were out in the country and the internet is very poor, there's no fiber optics out here, and we're trying to work on a solution to have steady video. Um, and if anybody out there has a solution, um, we would love it. Uh, uh, email us at mother at the station of the cross.com. And um, it would be wonderful. But right now, at least we could come to you um, via audio. I'm using my phone. And hold on one moment there. Hold on one moment, everybody. Because, hold on. Okay, because my battery was about to go out. My goodness. It's just such a privilege to be able to come to you at all. Um, we began yesterday, and beloved, um, most of you, most of us, were not at the Catholic Identity Conference. I sent out an email yesterday on um, Michael Matt's um, latest talk on, um, I forget the title, but it's, it's Growing Up Catholic Children in an Anti-Catholic World, being Christocentric in a um, Christophobic world. And it, it's, I sent it out, and the title is One of the Greatest Talks Ever Given. Um, if you have not been at the Catholic Identity Conference, we have not, but the talks are available online. And if you have not been, um, you can get those talks. But this particular talk by Michael Matt um, wasn't actually for the Catholic Identity Conference, straight from Remnant TV. And he did a conference on, on the family, uh, international conference. I, I think it was held in England. I'm not, no, or maybe Scotland. I'm not sure. But um, uh, it was recorded in his studio at Remnant TV. And I titled it, One of the Greatest Talks Ever Given. Because for me, it is. For me, I know I'm, I'm repeating myself so many times. Uh, the family, the family, is God's number one instrument to build his kingdom and the enemy's number one target to destroy. And I said in that email, when I sent it out, it came out uh, last night, um, that everything going on in the world and the awful things in the church, including the synod of synodality, has as its aim the destruction of the family. Now, anybody can disagree or agree, but it is what's happening. And um, the enemy from the garden on, Adam and Eve on, has not wanted God's design to procreate and fill the earth. He has not. And so um, the family has been his target from day one. And um, right through the establishment from uh, Eve, through Seth, through Noah, 
through a man named Abram, A-B-R-A-M, who means, uh, his name means high and honored father. And um, uh, five chapters later in the book of Genesis, chapter 17, God named him Abraham, the father of all nations. And through his seed, he said to Abram in Genesis chapter 12, through your seed, Abram, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And the seed is singular. And the Apostle Paul takes that up, I think, in Galatians. He takes it up that the seed is Christ. Through Abraham, all the nations of the world would be blessed. How? Because beginning with Abraham, through Isaac, through his son Jacob, through his son Judah, through his son David, and add almost a thousand years, through the line of David, um, an angel came to the Virgin Mary and said that she will bear a son and call his name Jesus. Uh, and he will be the sign of the Most High. This would be the one that our Lord spoke to Abram about in Genesis 12. This is the one for whom God formed his own nation, a family of families, from Abraham to Christ, a family of families through whom the Messiah would come to not be the this Messiah, anointed one, redeemer of Israel only, but of the whole world. And the gospel has gone out to the entire world. Christianity, Christianity has a Jewish uh, foundation. The seed is Christ, outspread to the entire world. And so um, the enemy has never stopped trying to destroy God's people, Israel, and God's people now in the which is Israel spread throughout the world in the Jewish Messiah. Christianity is Israel and its Messiah spread to the four corners of the earth. Um, and I could explain that further if anyone wishes to call in with a question, but, um, but that is the issue. And so the enemy has never, ever stopped wanting to destroy the seed, Christ, and he cannot. He cannot. And the prophecy in Genesis 3.15 is that the uh, Satan, the seed of the enemy, uh, would try to destroy him, but the seed of the woman would crush his head. That's a fatal blow. And the seed of the woman is Christ. And so he has let Satan loose for a time. The ways of God are past finding out for many of us, but, um, but uh, the enemy doesn't fluff off. He's at it still. And um, uh, he is still trying to destroy the people of God. And I don't just mean the war in Israel at the moment. Um, I mean you and I. I mean the very people of God, the people who have given their lives to Christ, and particularly in the church he established, which is the one holy Catholic and apostolic church. I'm going to say to you, dear ones, if you're Protestant, if you're Jewish, if you're any other faith, you need to come home to the Catholic Church because Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to me except, um, no, no one comes to the Father but by me. And me is Jesus, and we are his body, and he is the head, and the body is not disjointed. The Catholic Church, the one holy Catholic and apostolic church, dear ones, is the church our Lord established 
at the only way to heaven. Now, many are preaching that there are other ways to heaven. They won't be able to prove that in Scripture. Um, many people ask Jesus into their heart, which I did for 18 years as an evangelical Protestant trying to save Catholics. Um, but you won't find those words in Scripture. You won't find in Scripture that Scripture alone uh, is the answer. You will never find those Protestant evangelical uh, concepts or words. It's only the words of our Lord, I am the way, the truth, the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father but by me. And I know the church uh, has all kinds of formulas to say that those who don't fall to their own um, can be saved, not necessarily will be saved, but can. Um, I can't comment on all that. Um, uh, but I know what our Lord has said in Scripture and in the church. And I think if you're outside the church, beloved, you're in a dangerous place. And you may disagree immediately because you love God, and I understand that. Um, I understand if you're an evangelical Protestant, you may love God more than any Catholic you'll ever meet. You may swim circles around the scriptures, but the bark of Peter is the ship by, through, uh, in which, by which, through which we reach heaven. And so um, I leave you with that. And if you want to curse me, you, you are free to do that. And, but I would, I would suggest something other. I would suggest that you look into the claims of the Catholic Church. That's what happened to me when I started my agonizing four and a half year journey. I was hit by such a bolt of lightning, and electricity, whatever it was, physical that went through me. The last thing on, the, on earth I wanted was the Catholic Church. I only wanted to save Catholics from what I believed was a false religious man-made system. But those four and a half years, trying to find out how on earth Catholics could believe what they believe or even disprove it brought me into the church. So I would, I would challenge you, but I would beg you, look into the Catholic church, even if it is to save Catholics, but find out why they believe what they believe, which means you need to read the scriptures without comments, commentaries. That's what I did. I sat down and I read it from Genesis um, right through Revelation, and I came out Catholic without any commentaries at all. Um, the first time I did that, I didn't come out Catholic, but I knew I could no longer be Protestant with the beliefs I had. I don't know if I'd ever be anywhere. I don't know what I would be. I couldn't give up Christ, but I read it the first time, and I could no longer an evangelical Protestant, but I could, couldn't buy into the Catholic Church either. It took time, and it took a sincere look with a lot of pain, and being open not to error, um, not to falsity, but to what God has said in His Word, and Catholic doctrines, not Protestant apologetics against them. First read everything Catholic, beloved, hopefully prior to pre-Vatican II, a lot of Post-Vatican II writings are good, but they can be false as well. So read as much as you can, and then you could look at Protestant commentaries against them. Once you really know what Catholics believe, once you really know that we don't worship Mary, that we don't worship statues, that we don't re-sacrifice Christ, once you find out the truth of what Catholics believe, 
then you could read Apologetics Against It. We'll be right back. Hello, beloved. This is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. As part of our efforts to teach the beauty of our faith, we're broadcasting a special educational lesson every Wednesday called Lessons in Latin. I'm Canon Bourgeois, a priest of the Institute of Christ the King, Sovereign Priest. These mini-teachings break down the history of the various parts of the Holy Mass. You can hear Lessons in Latin on Wednesdays at approximately 5.15 a.m., 3.45 p.m., and 9.40 p.m. Eastern Time. That's Lessons in Latin Wednesdays at 5.15 a.m., 3.45 p.m., and 9.40 p.m. on the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. Here at the Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. I'm a widower, parent of three almost adults, and listen to you guys around the clock. Father McTigg, Society of Jesus, he's wonderful. Mother Miriam, of course, the Divine Office, and many other great things that Station of the Cross does. So thanks very much for your great work. I had a friend at work email me and tell me about the Station of the Cross a couple months after it started, and I was so excited. I tuned into it, and I found that I love the Catholic Station. If you've been blessed, by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved family, to Mother Miriam Live. Uh, I uh, wanted to continue today um, reading. We only got halfway through Bishop Strickland's um, letter yesterday, and I wanted to finish it today. Um, Hold on now. Let me see if I can get this. I'm not able, for some reason... I'm not able to bring it up. Um, hmm. I'm so sorry. Um, okay. Here, let me let me um, press for a letter number six. We were on five yesterday, and everything here, the internet has just gone crazy with us. So I, I, I'm not able to bring that up again, but let me start on, um, let me start on letter six. And, um, it is on the error of universalism, which, uh, you know, is being, um, spoken about now, uh, 
that the Synod of Synodality is speaking about women deacons and, um, uh, oh, what other uh, women priests, all kinds of things that are completely uh, erroneous and cannot happen. Um, if, if you take a piece of bread and you say the word consecration over a normal piece of bread that's been baked in the oven, nothing will happen. Everything that our Lord said, we must believe. Everything, beloved, that our Lord said, we need to believe and we need to live by it. And I don't know, again, how much time we have um, with what's going on now with the threat of World War Three, with the Synod on Synodality promising to come out with a new Catholic Church. Beloved, we need to know our faith and we need to live it. So I'm going to begin to read now uh, Bishop Strickland's sixth of the seven letters. Uh, it's dated October 10th. He has a website, bishopstrickland.com, and you can find his letters on his website. You can find them on the Diocese of Tyler or look for anywhere on the Internet. <clears throat> this one is dated Oct October 10th, which means that he has a new one coming out. If it hasn't already come out, he's been doing one a week. And he says, my dear sons and daughters of Christ, it is an honor and a joy to continue to share the basic truths of our Catholic faith with you as we now delve more deeply into the sixth truth I outlined in my pastoral letter of August 22, 2023, and he quotes, that all men and women will be saved, regardless of how they live their lives, a concept repeatedly in the gospel, I'm sorry, a concept commonly referred to as universalism <clears throat> is false and is dangerous as it contradicts what Jesus tells us repeatedly in the gospel. Jesus says we must deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow him, Matthew 16. He has given us the way through his grace to victory over sin and death through repentance and sacramental confession. It is essential that we embrace the joy and hope as well as the freedom that come from repentance and humbly confessing our sins. Through repentance and sacramental confession, every battle <clears throat> with temptation and sin can be a small victory that leads us to embrace the great victory that Christ has won for us, end quote. Hold on a moment, please. <clears throat> Okay, I'm here. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> end quote. Um, that's from um, the gospel. Um, hold on now. Um, mm, no, I, I think that was he was quoting himself in his first letter, I think. We are all sinners, and we are all in need of a Savior because we are all born into original sin and therefore subject to its consequences, Romans chapter 5. Original sin was the first sin that was committed by our first parents, Adam and Eve, in our descent from, I'm sorry, Adam and Eve in disobedience of God. <clears throat> that original sin is now a hereditary stain 
with which we are all born on account of our descent from Adam and Eve. Thus, original sin is an ongoing privation of God's grace, and because of its effect in our lives, we as humans are born in a state of separation from God. If we were left in this state of original sin, we would be eternally separated from God because nothing unclean will be allowed to enter into heaven, Revelation chapter 21. However, through baptism, God has made a way for us to be justified in him through Jesus Christ alone and to remove not only the stain of the original sin of our first parents, which we carry, but also the stain of all actual sins we ourselves commit. And for our sins, after we have been baptized, God has given us the sacrament of reconciliation, also called confession or penance, in order to allow us to repent and be cleansed of the stain of our sins. Now I say, dear ones, um, if you're evangelical, if you're Protestant, you're certainly going to disagree with this. You're going to say we don't need a priest, we don't need sacramental confession, I can confess my sins to God, um, and he hears me and he forgives me. Um, yes, but how do you answer John chapter 20, I think beginning in verse 19, where Jesus gives the power to forgive sins to his disciples and says, whose sins you forgive are forgiven, whose sins you retain are retained. You see, it's only God who forgives sins. It's only Jesus who forgives sins. But one writer said, who are we to determine, who are we uh, sinners to determine how God will forgive our sins? Um, God has done everything through men. We wouldn't even know what the Bible says were it not through men uh, who published it or printed it. What did the whole world do prior to the printing press in the 16th century? And it took a year salary to even write a Bible out. For the first 1,400 or so years, there was no Bible for the, the general population to read. How were they saved? How did they know all this? It's through his church, beloved. Bishop Strickland continues, from the Catechism of the Catholic Church, we read that sin is an offense against God. Against you, you alone, have I sinned. Uh, says David in Psalm 50 or 51, uh, with the new rendering, against you, you alone, have I sinned and done that which is evil in your sight, end quote. Sin sets itself against God's love for us and turns our hearts away from it. Like the first sin, it is disobedience, a revolt against God through the will to become like God's, knowing and determining good and evil. Sin is thus love of oneself, even to the contempt of God. In this proud self-exaltation, sin is diametrically opposed to the obedience of Jesus, which achieves our salvation. Catechism 1850. That first sentence is packed with deep theological insight. Quote, sin is an offense against God, end quote. Consider that God is infinitely good and holy, and he is infinite love. 
Thus, according to St. Thomas Aquinas, in his Summa Theologica, when we sin, we sin against the infinite, and thus our sins are infinitely offensive to him. Now, a sin which is committed against God is infinite, and thus our sins are infinite, are infinitely offensive. Let me start that again. Um, <clears throat> thus, according to St. Thomas Aquinas in his Summa Theologica, when we sin, we sin against the infinite, and thus our sins are infinitely offensive to him. Now, a sin which is committed, St. Thomas says, a sin which is committed against God is infinite, because the gravity of a sin increases according to the greatness of the person sinned against. Thus, it is a more grievous sin to strike the sovereign than a private individual, and God's greatness is infinite. Therefore, an infinite punishment is due for a sin committed against God. That's uh, uh, in the Summa Theologica, and you could go to um, the bishop's letter for all these references. I'm going to stop here um, to give you the story of how I learned this, and I never read the Summa, and I never knew it was official church teaching. I just knew it had to be the case. Um, a few months, I'm going to tell you something very, very personal. I may have shared this some years ago. A few months after I gave my life to Christ in good evangelical fashion, I asked him to come into my heart and take my life, and, um, and he did. He did. St. Augustine said that we are bound to the sacraments. God is not. And I was a Martian on planet Earth overnight. Um, but it was a few, and I, I was walking on cloud 10, and I'm afraid of heights, but I was up there. Um, but a few weeks later, I woke up on a Monday morning, and I knew, lying in bed, that I was the most sinful person on the face of the Earth. I couldn't think specific sins, not that I didn't um, have specific sins, but it wasn't a matter of those. I couldn't bring to mind anything that would cause me to say that. It's not what I did. It's what I was. I was the most sinful person on the face of the earth, and I deserved to die. This is me. I didn't get out of bed because, and I'm not suicidal, but I didn't get out of bed because straight, I was living in Santa Monica in my own one-bedroom apartment, and through the bedroom door, right straight through the living room, I could see the kitchen, which was a counter with stools and a little uh, kind of a galley. And on the other side of the counter was a drawer with knives in it. And I knew that I had to do away with myself because I should live. And I knew if I got out of bed, I would go there and take a knife and put it through me. And so I was afraid to get out of bed. And the whole day, I didn't go to work, I didn't get dressed, I didn't call anyone. I didn't do anything because I was afraid to get out of that bed. And at five in the evening, I finally got out of the bed and I went over to the counter. And I'll tell you what happens when we come back from the break. Sorry. Um, we'll be right back, beloved. And it will be our half hour for you to call with, in with anything at all on your heart. Toll free 1-877-511-5483 or email motherofisraelshope.org. Uh, but I won't keep you hanging. I'll finish the story when we get back. It's very important. 
We'll be right back. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Understanding Melchizedek, Malachi, and Mass seem quite mysterious to most, even including Bible students. How about you? Well, here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, Melchizedek. He's the very first priest in biblical history. Though he's a prefigurement of Jesus' priesthood, Melchizedek was a person. To Abraham, he presented bread and wine, which are the biblical elements of a sacrifice, and now presented at a Catholic Mass. Secondly, Malachi. He follows up some 3,000 years later and says, In every place, incense shall be offered to my name in a pure offering. It is understood that the pure offering would be the sacrificial body and blood of Christ that is confected on every Catholic altar. Prophetically, this would replace and fulfill the ineffective temple sacrifices. And thirdly, my pesky comeback. That pure and holy sacrifice is not grape juice and a wafer at a non-Catholic communion service. Also, those elements are not Jesus' body, and they surely aren't Jesus' blood. However, I am glad to say that some grape juice and a wafer is a really nice summertime refreshment. Find me online at Smarty Pants Catholic Evangelism. What you're offering and giving to me, you deserve to get back because you're offering more than I can give. I learned so much through the station on the cross. I listen to the radio station daily and I absolutely love it. I was attending the chapel and places like that and through your programs I was able to find out how other Protestants had come back into the Catholic Church. God bless the station on the cross. Donate today at thestationofthecross.com. I'm Jim Havens, host of The Simple Truth, heard weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross Catholic Media Network. And by far the most transforming aspect of this experience was simply coming into the direct knowledge that God himself not only knew me by name, but had been paying attention to me as though I were the only creature he had ever created. That's The Simple Truth, weekdays at 4 p.m. Eastern on the Station of the Cross. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved family, to Mother Miriam Live. I am live. I am she. We are live, but by audio, we still have not been able to get the uh, internet um, uh, video working uh, out here in the country, but we're working on it. It's kind of working on and off. But I promised you, now this is our half hour together, and I'll give out the number once more. Uh, because it's our half hour, our lines are open, and you're welcome to call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Uh, Toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at the station of the cross dot com. Just before the break, I was, um, well, we, we began the first half, if you've just joined us, by reading uh, the first half of... Archbishop, uh, I just promoted him to Archbishop. Bishop Joseph Strickland, uh, I think he should be a cardinal personally. Bishop Joseph Strickland's uh, uh, letter from October 10th, his sixth letter out of seven. Um, it'll probably be eight, though, including the first letter of August 22nd. Um, on on the um, falsehood of universalism that anybody could be saying, that's not true. And it's against scripture, it's against church teaching. 
Um, and he quoted Thomas Aquinas, who said that the, the, the depth, the degree of the sin uh, has not so much to do, I'm, just, I'm paraphrasing my own words, with the sin committed as it does with the one sinned against. So David in Psalm 50 or 51, uh, based on your uh, which version of the Bible you have, says against thee, the only have I sinned and done what is evil in thy sight. Whatever sin we commit, we do commit against the person or against whomever, um, <clears throat> but we commit it, first of all, against God. And St. Thomas pointed out that because every sin, every sin, is an offense against God, God is infinite, and therefore every sin we commit is infinitely grave. Um, and I was giving an illustration of how I learned that in my own life, not even knowing the uh, Summa Theologica or, or that the church said that. Um, and I, I mentioned, uh, I'll just try to sum it up more quickly now, uh, that uh, soon after I gave my life to Christ in good evangelical Protestant fashion, I truly was a Martian on planet Earth overnight. It was a new creation. Uh, it, it miraculously changed. I'm floating on cloud 10, and two, three weeks later, I woke up one Monday morning, and I knew that I was the worst person, the most sinful person that ever existed, and not because of what I've done so much, and I had committed many sins, but that wasn't the issue. It's because what I was, I was the most sinful person that ever lived, and I shouldn't live. And so I, I, had to, I couldn't get out of bed because I knew I would go to my kitchen and the drawer on the other side of the little counter with stools and take out a knife and put it through myself. This, this wasn't me, but I wouldn't get out of bed. I didn't get dressed. I didn't even call in to work to say I wouldn't be there. And I woke up a few times during the day and just kept going back to sleep, afraid of what would happen if I got out of bed. And so I was living by myself, single. I've always been single. Um, and so uh, five o'clock in the afternoon, I needed to get out of bed and I did. And I went over to that counter and I sat down on the opposite side of the counter on the stools, breakfast stools, uh, to the drawer with all the knives. And I thought there, um, I cannot tell you the, the depths of um, ill I felt within me. Horrible. I, I, I can't explain. It was just too horrible. And I thought, sitting at that counter, of two people that uh, caused great harm and that I wanted dead. And the problem is, uh, that they were already dead. And that was a problem for me because I wanted them to be alive so they could we, they could die again. I wanted them deader and it couldn't happen. And I, I, what they did caused great destruction and they should be dead, but they already were and I don't like that. So I thought about that. And at that moment uh, in my, uh, the depths of my anguish, God, it's the only way to describe it. Uh, if you think of an egg, you know, with children pretend clapping their hands together over your head and running down your face as if an egg is running down your face, starting from the top of my head through every bit of my body, my hands, my fingers, my toes, everything, liquid grace, the only way for me to say it, God's grace started at the top of my head, 
physically poured through my body and it melted me. And I started crying, sobbing uncontrollably. And I knew then, I knew then that I, 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 we need to forgive as God in Christ has forgiven us. And I said, well, how do we do that? How can we forgive like that? Jesus said, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing, but they did know what they're doing. They put the nails in him. They put him on the cross. What do you mean they don't know what they're doing? But as Paul says, sin blinds us. They didn't know. Uh, they didn't know. They knew physically what they did. But Paul said, if we knew who he was, we would not have put the king of glory to death. And so um, I needed to forgive these people. And how could I forgive them? I was a sinner against God. But my sin was a tiny little nothing compared to their great, great, great sins against me. And how do you do that? And then I realized my sin if I want to be ridiculous about it, is a little tiny respectable sin. Of course, there's no such thing as respectable sin. Every sin put Christ on the cross. But compared to these people, uh, I was a little sinner. And they were great. So I committed little sins against God. But they committed great, horrible sins against me. So how do I forgive? And then I realized that I have sinned against God and my tiny little sin against God is greater than their horrific sins against me. I knew that. Sitting there at that counter with the grace of God finally bringing me to my senses, they sinned against the sinner, even though my sin doesn't begin to touch the greatness of their sin. I have sinned against an all-holy God and I realized then that the degree of sin has not so much to do with the sin itself, but with the one sinned against. I have sinned against an infinitely holy God, and therefore any sin, venial, any sin I commit is infinite against an all-holy God. Um, and so... Um, I learned that then, and so I'm, I'm coming off now Bishop Strickland's letter where he's quoting St. Thomas Aquinas. We need to understand that. We need to understand that however greatly anyone has sinned against us, murdering our family, whatever they've done, it's huge. We haven't done anything comparable to that. But we have sinned against an all-holy God, which makes any sin of ours greater than anything ever committed against us. You may not agree, but if you don't agree, beloved, it's because you don't know who God is, and you don't know what his holiness is. He cannot come into the presence of sin at all. So by our sin, we deserve hell. Whether it's a tiny little sin or a great heinous crime, we deserve hell. Separation from God for all eternity. And if God who we put to death on the cross, which he took to pay for. He came to die. He came to die for our sins. But that doesn't excuse our putting the nails into his hands and putting him on the cross. He came to die. And if, we, if he can forgive us who put him to death, whose sins put him to death, if he can forgive us, who on earth are we to not forgive those who sin against us? And so you say, yeah, 
I've been scarred for the whole my rest of my life. It's well. What do you think the scriptures say? When we get to heaven, we will see a lamb as if slain. We will see his nail scarred hands, which we caused. Okay, um, enough of that. We must forgive, beloved. We must forgive. Uh, forgiveness is forgiving. And what do we do with the pain? What do we do with the destruction that's been caused to us? We give it to Christ on the cross. We give it to him. We join it to his crucifixion, to his sacrifice for the salvation of the world and for those that we love, uh, or even for the people who offended us. We give it to Christ. And when we do that, we uh, destroy Satan's plan. We say, take that, Satan. We're going to give it to Christ. Um, Take that. We took what you uh, perpetrated upon us, and we're using it for the salvation of others, you stupid devil. You'll never learn. Every time you injure us, we give it to Christ. We join it to his sacrifice of the cross. We do what Paul says. I make up that which is lacking in the sacrifice of Christ. He paid for all. Nothing was lacking in his sacrifice, but yes, we add to it, and we do that for the salvation of others. And what do we do with our hurt? We give it to Christ. Does that mean the scar is not there? No, but it means the sting is gone. It means it no longer controls us because we've put the injury to work for the salvation of others. So um, I know we're going to come up um, uh, with... um, um, with a break soon, but let me go now to our first email. Um, it's from someone who writes it anonymously and says, Mother, with your Jewish background, I was hoping you may be able to explain the conflict that is happening in Israel. What is the cause of all of this? Or what is each side fighting for exactly? How did we get to this point? Okay, uh, briefly, um, what the Israelis are fighting for is the land God gave them from Dan to Beersheba. They are fighting for the land that God gave them. And the uh, Palestinians, the Arabs, the forces against Israel do not believe it's Israel's land. And so we, they are fighting for land that is theirs. Um, and what are the Palestinians fighting for? Uh, they're fighting for land in Israel, but they are really... The main fight, uh, particularly by Hamas, the terrorist group in Gaza, among the Palestinians, they are fighting for the death of every Jew who exists on the face of the earth. That's their real fight, not the land, but the extermination of the Jewish people. Um, The cause of all this is um, uh, Satan's... um, uh, plot from the beginning to destroy God's people Israel. You know, people say they rejected Christ, but the point is, they didn't. Um, there's a large majority that did, and a, a small remnant that did not. But that remnant is the foundation, the apostles and prophets of the Catholic Church. If they rejected Christ, we would have no church. We would have no salvation. So salvation, as John chapter 4, comes from the Jewish people to the entire world, not because of their faithfulness, but because God is faithful to his covenant with Abraham, not with Moses. Jesus fulfilled that, but with Abraham, that all the nations of the world would be blessed. 
How did we get to this point? Read Deuteronomy chapter 28. God said to the Israelis, to the Hebrew people, if you obey me, I bless you. If you disobey me, I will curse you. And the curse on Israel comes from the enemies around Israel. It always has, and it is now, because Israel is turned from God. And God has said in the Old Testament Chronicles, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, then I will hear their prayer and heal their land. But they're not doing that. They are turned from God. And if they would turn to God and pray and humble themselves, they have no idea what God will do. They will see miracles today that they saw in the past when God saved Israel, not because of their cunning, not because of their weapons, not because of the strength of their people, but because of his strength and his power. So that's a very short answer, but I think that in my mind is the summary of it. Beloved, we'll be right back after the break. We'll have about 10 minutes. If you wish to call in, our lines are still open. one 511 5483 Please join Father Mark Noonan in praying the Litany of Humility. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being loved, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being extolled, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being honored, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being praised, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being preferred to others, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being consulted, deliver me, Jesus. From the desire of being approved, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being humiliated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being despised, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of suffering rebukes, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being calumniated, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being forgotten, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being ridiculed, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being wronged, deliver me, Jesus. From the fear of being suspected, deliver me, Jesus. That others may be loved more than I, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be esteemed more than I, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be chosen and I set aside, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be praised and I unnoticed, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may be preferred to me in everything, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. That others may become holier than I, provided that I may become as holy as I should, Jesus grant me the grace to desire it. Amen. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment. We've got 10 minutes um, and again, time for you to call in if you wish with anything on your heart, toll free one eight seven seven five one one 
888-528-5483 or email at mother at the station of the cross.com. We have an email from Mary Beth. Mary Beth writes, I think you are great. What a blessing to have you. Oh, Mary Beth, that's a sweet encouragement um, to me. Thank you so much. <clears throat> she says, how can I discern inspirations from the Holy Spirit from my own whimsical ideas, particularly involving utilizing gifts of knowledge, training, and expertise in an area? I seem to have many, many ideas and fall short of carrying out actions. If I imagine, for example, a big event such as giving a talk to a large group on Catholic parenting to convey important information, but I never evolve to arranging this, marketing, promoting, obtaining space, audience from schools, churches, etc., seeming to get tangled in the weeds and never launch. Am I failing to act on inspiration from God? Or is it simply not time or not of God, but of me? <clears throat> what, if is it, what if it is about forming a religious order? Surely this comes from somewhere. Great saints have done this. Does this still happen? Inspirations such as forming a religious community, for instance. Thank you and God bless. Um, Yes, of course, Mary Beth, it still happens. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And he can, he can specifically speak to someone, let's just say, about forming a religious order. He never did that with me. I never imagined forming a religious order. Um, I just wanted to walk through the world as a sign to God and put my arms around the whole world. Um, uh, it, it never occurred to me to start something. What would I know about starting something? But just putting one foot in front of another, here I am today. And when I look back, I could see the working of God. But um, I think, Mary Beth, that um, if you have inspirations, and they're good, and they're holy, you can assume they're from God which means of the Holy Spirit, not your own whimsical ideas. It may not be exactly what God wants you to do about them, but if they're good and holy longings and ideas, you can, you can assume they are from God. And if they are from God, they will not be fleeting. They will last a year, two years, whatever it may be, and they'll grow stronger. And so don't worry about discerning the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Um, the way we know our gifts is by seeing what we love. We don't see the gift and then try to fill that out. We know we come to learn our gifts by living our life fully for God and seeing what we love to do and how God uses us. And then we learn. So, for example, if you would like to give a talk on Catholic parenting and you feel you have uh, much to offer in that way, both in a right faith, good information, and the ability to communicate it. Um, I don't worry about putting together a large conference because you will never know if that's of God. I've never done that in my life. I've never, I've spoken all over the world. I've never, ever done anything on my own. I've never formed a conference. People have asked me, and you say, well, how do you start? Well, if you think you'd like to do that, um, the reason you would want to do that is because you have a greater heart for um, parenting, for the family, than you do for using your gifts. Forget about your gifts. If you have a longing to help parents 
live their life and raise Catholic children um, and have a holy marriage, my suggestion would be to gather a few people in your parish, a few friends, and you start with six, start with two, it doesn't matter, and go ahead and teach them. Don't worry about, don't market anything, don't worry about the schools and venues, don't do anything. Invite them to your home, or one of them can invite you to their home, and just gather a few women from your parish who are mothers and who would like to come together as a prayer group, and then you can begin to teach them and lead them and see how God uses you. Start that way. Forget conferences and all that. Don't take that upon yourself. But begin to do it uh, one-on-one discipleship or with a small group. Um, Again, if it's about forming a religious order, it does come from somewhere. But what what you would need to do first is, number one, look into what it means to form a religious order. Look into um, um, uh, the life of religious. See if you're living that life now, if you're living a life of silence, holiness, prayer, and all of that. Um, And if you want to form a religious order, I would say, uh, you don't know now if that's from God. Yes, great saints have done this, but at times God has uh, spoken to them or appeared to them, um, or they have some other communication from God, which I've not had. So most things grow naturally. And if you would wish to form a religious order, no matter what your desires are, just begin to live it. Begin to live it. If you want to form a religious order, you get together as opposed to the, the parenting issue, just get together with two or three or four single women living a holy life who want to live a religious life and come together and meet once a month, once a week in prayer and go through books that speak about the life and the virtues of religious. Make sure, you know, you don't need to be wearing makeup and you're dressing modestly um, your language is edifying, begin to live uh, somewhat of a sacrificial life, begin to reach out to the poor or to other things or to teach. And so uh, I would pay attention, uh, Mary Beth, I would pay attention to your desires. They're good desires, they're holy desires. And whatever is in your heart most, don't think about the end, just Do it day by day by day and let God grow it if it's of him. And if it's not, it won't go anywhere. If it is, then it will. Okay, so I hope that's of help to you. Uh, Whatever we desire to do, we need to begin by living that life and see. I wanted to be, I know this is the same thing, but in my younger years, I wanted to be a nurse. And I was dating a veterinarian. And during dinner one night, he was on call, and a dog got in a fight and was in bad shape. So I, I rode with him uh, to while well, he had to patch that dog up, and I just about fainted. And I said, how am I going to be a nurse if I can't handle that? So uh, I know that's a crazy example, but start living it. Start living it yourself with two or three people. See how they respond to you. See, and, and God will show you if this is his will. All right, just like the Apostle Paul, he went in different directions, and God closed each door until Paul found the door that he opened. But do something. Don't just think about it. Think about your greatest desire and begin.
just begin uh, with others. And again, nothing big, nothing. Don't announce that you're putting a group together. Don't even do that in your parish, because if you're not if you're not tried in that, if you're not experienced in that, then you don't want to do that yet. Just speak to a few women who are desirous, as you are, of learning about Catholic parenting, and and they will be Catholic parents, so they could help you know what to teach. You may have certain ideas, but they may have other needs that you need to be aware of, so start that way. Okay, there's our closing music, beloved. Um, Blessed be God that we could be together even audibly, and um, I love you all. I don't have to know you. I love you because it's the love of God that fills us, and I beg you, live for him with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. We'll speak with you tomorrow, God willing. God bless you.